my name's Ali Barnes and welcome to Mums Group. This is a podcast for new and expectant mums who share a Christian worldview. Miscarriage is sadly all too common. If you haven't experienced one yourself, there's a strong chance that a close friend or family member has. In today's episode, I'm joined by Nikki Hay, who generously shares her experience of miscarriage loss and what it's like to grieve when you trust that God is both good and in complete control of all things. If you've just experienced a miscarriage or you're supporting someone who has, or really you've just gone through any period of loss and suffering, I think that you'll find Nikki's words of wisdom and her encouraging perspective really helpful and insightful. I certainly did. This episode is recorded over Skype because we're in the middle of the COVID-19 crisis right now. Our babies are fast asleep and I'm actually recording from my bed. All right, here we go. Hello, my name is Nikki. I'm 32 years old and I've got two daughters called Paloma and Sophia. I used to teach scripture, but at the moment I'm a stay-at-home mum, which is lovely. I feel extremely blessed that I'm able to do that. I'm married to Mike, who's a carpenter. He's definitely better looking and nicer than I am, but I've locked him down. So. Did you always want a family? Yeah, so I've always wanted to have a big family. I always wanted to have lots of kids. I think four was my number. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so Mike and I talked about it when we were first dating and we both wanted kids, which was great. And when we first got married, we waited a year. Like, so at the end of the year of our first year of marriage, we started trying to have kids. So how old were you then? I was 26. And so. did you ever have any concerns like polycystic ovaries or endo or anything like that that you were concerned, oh, you know what, we should start soon? Well, I've been on the pill since I was 16, so I had really bad cystic acne. So they put me on the pill, which I loved because it was like very period regulating for me as well and made my skin clear up and it was great. So I just never came off it. I really enjoyed being on the pill. Um, and then when I first spoke to another, like our other GP, so we were at a family practice, I saw a few of them. He said, um, when you come off the pill, you're extremely fertile. So it's better just come off for a couple of um, weeks or months to like, let your body get used to it again and then um, you can start trying so in my mind I was like that's the right thing to do you come off the pill and you wait a little while you know just use condoms or whatever and just be like safe practicing um, and then you know you'll get pregnant after that that's how it works yeah you'll get pregnant. and I had no doubt in my mind like we come from a family of baby makers all around the all over the whole group a lot of baby making family so yeah and so tell me about when you first found out that you were pregnant yeah, so we probably tried for maybe two or three months with, um, without getting pregnant. At that point, I became like um, a weird, obsessed person about pregnancy tests. Oh, um, like checking all the time? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a, there's a thing on the internet called POAS, which is P on a stick, and then you're a POS addict. So it's like a real <laughs> thing that people talk about in like those forums. Okay. So I became a forum person, and I remember reading in a forum that you could look with your phone flashlight, you could you could look and see if there was a very faint line on a test. So in my mind, it was like, you know, you pee and like, you see a line and you don't. But after I saw that, I became like a maniac. So it was like oh. three months of like crazy checking, you know, lines, like throwing the test out and then going back to the bin yeah. and like checking to see just in case. So after a while, we weren't getting pregnant. I was like, ah, oh, you know, just got to like relax and not think about it for a while. So we went overseas with my family, the whole family, all my brothers and um, their partners and kids and my parents, Mike and I. Uh, it was like a European winter vacation, which was amazing. So much fun. And at one point I realized that I could be pregnant. Like, you know, I hadn't checked or anything. And we were at a Tesco 
<laughs> and uh, like, I don't know if people are listening, it's a supermarket. We're yeah. in Tesco and I went and bought a first response test in the Tesco while Mike was doing grocery shopping. And I went and peed on the stick in the Tesco bathroom <laughs> with two women either side of me. And it sprang up immediately positive. Oh, my gosh. It was like the best moment of my life to date. No, that's not true. I've had kids since then. It was a great moment in my life. Um, it was so exciting just, like, waiting for the stick to dry so I could go back out into the Tesco and yeah. show it to Mike. So then we, like, walked around, you know, doing our shopping, thinking, like, we are having a baby. It was amazing. And it was, like, Christmas time and, ugh, it was the best. And did you tell your family because they were with yes, you? Yes, straight away. We're on holiday with them. So we were, like, planning to maybe surprise mum at Christmas because it was, like, the 20th, say, of December. But then, like, as soon as mum went to the door, I was like, ah! <laughs> like couldn't hold it in it was it was really exciting it was so, such a happy time did you have any idea how far you were along at that point so it probably would have been about six weeks at that point okay so yeah tell me about your first miscarriage yeah so then we were on this holiday and um we went to Paris which was beautiful we went to Paris um and it was like wintry and gorgeous and we went to Disneyland I couldn't go on any of the rides because I was pregnant and it was like a really like I enjoyed not being able to go on the rides because it's like I can't go on the rides I'm, I'm sorry I'm pregnant oh, but all the, the soft cheese Nikki I don't need soft cheese so it was okay <laughs> I could still have the waffles and everything um and then we came back and we had Christmas and all my family had bought us like baby toys for Christmas and like little cardigans and my sister-in-law had bought me a French Bible. Um, mm. So that was amazing. And then we went to Belgium. And so we grew up in Belgium. When I was like, we lived in Belgium and I hadn't been back since we left when I was 13. It was so nice to be back there. It was snowing. It was like the most magical time. Yeah. And then I woke up um, one morning and I had I'd been bleeding. And so I obviously freaked out immediately. Like oh, I didn't even know what to do with myself. I was so frightened. So my dad... And my mum drove Mike and I to this hospital in Belgium and they did a ultrasound mm. and we saw the baby was fine. We saw a heartbeat. It was like magical. You know, it was so great. We had the little picture to take home and show everyone. And the next day, Mike and my brothers and my sister-in-law went to see this town that we used to go to in Germany all the time when we were kids. And they'd said to me, stay home, just rest, you know, rest as much as you can. And at one point I woke up from a rest and I went to go to the bathroom and it was just like, so much blood never seen so much blood in my entire life and it just didn't stop bleeding and I just remember screaming for my mum and she came in and just sat with me and just basically I just bled and I did actually pass something I don't know what you're allowed to call you know what people call it. it's like a, a fetus or something it was yeah. you know an eight weeks we're eight weeks along so whatever it looks like at eight weeks so that was pretty distressing because we yeah. had to like hold on to that to take the hospital to be like this is what's happened so it's like the 2nd of January we went back and they confirmed that we had miscarriage I'm so sorry I think like at that moment I didn't even know what to do with myself because it was everything like I know that like we'd had um our Bible study leaders have had miscarriages before us quite a few I remember thinking like how do you go on you know like how do you go on with that Mm. and there's never been a doubt in my mind that God is good But I remember thinking at that point, like, what I want to do is go to my bed and put the blanket over my head and for it to be just like dark until it's better. Mm -hmm. I just didn't know when that would be. So it was was bleak. What's the experience like, you know, emotionally distressing, but is it particularly painful? I mean, an eight-week fetus, that's... I mean, obviously it's not in any way painful. I know people lose have like they call them still miscarriages you know up to like 12 weeks and stuff like that so then you're literally giving birth um but it was painful like I have never had like bad period cramps you know but it was pretty excruciatingly painful it was like being doubled over in pain and just 
in pain for a long time afterwards actually like I had cramps for a long time they said to me expect for this to go on for a couple of weeks so we were still on our holiday then it was another like month I guess that we were there and it was just really hard to enjoy the holiday because I was so upset and they'd also said to us look you you can start trying again whenever you want because this is nothing really they're pretty like yeah you're fine like it's okay. all because it's called a complete spontan- spontaneous miscarriage so everything's out there's nothing left you're just bleeding it's not you don't have to go and get a dnc they're like you know it's basically just like having a late period feel free to try again whenever you want so at that point i went from being like in my dark hole to being like i will get pregnant again immediately okay. it will happen and it will be fine like this will be this will be over really quickly i can make it over like the darkness i can i can actually make that pass because i can get pregnant again straight away so the doctors explained what it was but did they give you a reason as to why it happened no. So the first time when we went in and saw the heartbeat, the girl said to me, oh, it looks like there's a, a tiny tear in the placenta. It was in all, like, it was in Belgium too, so we are doing the best we could to understand. Mm. She said, there's a tiny tear in the placenta, but it's not a big deal, but just rest so you don't make it worse. So I thought that's what it was. I assumed, look, the tear got worse, the placenta ruptured, that must have been what happened. But we had no idea. You know, that was, that was it. Mm. We didn't see anyone again. So, you know, you, you mentioned that you found hope in the fact that you were able to start trying immediately. But mm, in that mm-hmm. period of grief, did you bury the baby? Yeah, or so we what did. did you do yeah. there? So the, the mass that we passed, we had kept and we took it back to where we were staying. And um, my dad's a minister. It's like it doesn't obviously you don't need to have a minister present. But it was lovely that he knew kind of how funerals went, you know. And so he prayed and we prayed and we, we burned the mass, you know, the whatever, whatever you call it, the baby. And then Mike and I took the ashes to the forest behind where we were staying and Mike buried it and he carved on the tree just some stuff, what we've been calling the baby and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it all felt like, it felt like super weirdly over-exaggerating what was happening and also completely downplaying it because Mm -hmm. it was so huge to us. But it was also like, this is, this is a period, you know, like to to many, to most people, this is nothing, you know, this is not a big deal, but we had to acknowledge that we'd lost something. Like the minute you see a positive pregnancy test, I'm sure anyone who's trying to tell you that tell you that they're trying to have a baby feels the same. When you see the positive pregnancy test, you're planning that baby's life from that minute. You know? Oh, so hundred percent. The like, sports that they're going to play, the instruments that they're going to take up, you, you can't not yeah. get ahead of yourself. Yeah. So, what's your dialogue with God during this time? Like you're surrounded by family. You mentioned your dad's a minister. Mm. Um, yeah. Are they trying to, you know, point you to God for comfort at this time? Were you able to find some sort of peace in in Him having a plan? I don't think it came into it at all. In my mind, I had this conversation with my mum recently. You know that we say how God's sovereignty and God's completely in control. I believe that one hundred percent. But I also say to myself that I, I personally feel that sometimes life is just life, and that God is completely in control of everything. But God allows life to continue as life. And things like death happened because sin happened. Mm. So miscarriages are a part of life. I don't think God is saying to me, and now you'll miscarriage so you miscarry so you learn a lesson. Here's a lesson for you to learn. I think I've learned lessons from it, but I don't think God is zapping me in the uterus and mm. saying, Here's a lesson for you to learn. So nothing changed with my relationship with God at that point. It was just very much like, get me through it, please God. That was where we were. And so you started trying again. Were you fairly optimistic that you'd be able to fall pregnant again or were you suddenly anxious about potentially having another No, I was like deludedly 
confident that we would get pregnant immediately and it, we were still on holiday so it had been a month and we started trying again then like I was like let's go let's let's get pregnant again um and obviously he wanted to have kids too he was like yep that's fine I think the thing is too that with miscarriages you grieve very differently like the day Mike wasn't even there the day when I had all the bleeding because he didn't get back to that night and so he didn't see the, the horror show that mm-hmm. I saw he didn't feel the pain you know so like yes he was devastated I'd never seen him really cry before he sat on the edge of the bed in the darkness in our room and cried and it was like you know, he's lost his baby, his first baby. But like then after a couple of days, he was changing and I wasn't. So by the time I realized I could have another baby, it's like I was catching up to him. He was already sort of on the, you know, we're okay train. Mm. And so you then fell pregnant with Paloma. No, we got pregnant again immediately. Okay. We did get pregnant. Yeah. So I had a second miscarriage before Paloma. Okay. Yeah, so we got pregnant again on the holiday immediately. I got pregnant when we tried and then um, we got back uh, actually on the flight home. We stopped in Amsterdam and it's just like I feel like embarrassed now that the people listening are like, she is literally insane. Bought a pregnancy test at a chemist in Amsterdam and I, it was positive. And I knew that it was a new pregnancy because we'd followed it, the levels down to zero and we'd had a not pregnant test and all that stuff. So we started a new pregnancy and got home. It was our anniversary and Mike was away for the weekend. We've been home for a week, I guess. Mike was away for the weekend for a box. And I was looking, driving around in Burwood, looking for places for us to rent. And I went into a Macca's and I was bleeding. And I knew that, like, you know, that we were very early on that time. So it would have been like five weeks, uh, maybe. Yeah, five weeks. And, yeah, so I came home. We were staying at his grandma's. Um, and I called him and I was like, I'm having miscarriage again. You need to come home. So he did, poor guy. Mm. And this was actually, like, I feel like it was more traumatic this time because I bled so much. It was like having a really heavy period, um, but that was it. So it was like it was done in a couple of days and I was like, wow, like we had it happening again so soon. It felt worse. Like the first time was more, we lost more. I don't know how to explain it, but this time was like more devastating because it was like it's twice now. How can it be real that this is happening again? Wow. Okay, so mm-hmm. from there did you feel a little less optimistic and hopeful? Yeah, so after that, I made an appointment to see um, a miscarriage specialist and we just basically wanted to talk to someone about it. So he um, did some testing on us and found out that I actually have a blood disorder called von Willebrand's disease, which is like a blood clotting disorder. It's kind of like a very, very, very mild hemophilia. So they thought that could have something to do with it. And we did other tests too and they didn't find anything abnormal. But he basically just said, take a couple of months off and then try again. So, and then he was he was monitoring us from that time on. So he was um, he was being my gyno, and he was going to be our obstetrician if we got pregnant. Okay. And what happened from there? So then we got pregnant with Paloma, and we went and saw him. I remember the first scan. I was like, oh my gosh, I did not know how I was going to not vomit that day. Like I was so sick with okay. like the fear and the stress. I remember being like, it was like May. It was a really cold day, but I remember wearing a dress because I was so hot and sweaty and fearful. <laughs> anyway, there was a heartbeat. And she was healthy and we just kept seeing him. We saw him every two weeks, I think, because he was like you considered high risk at that point. So we saw him every two weeks and, yeah, that was the next step. When you got past the high risk period, did you Mm. start to relax and feel like, okay, this is going to happen or did you sort of have your walls up the whole time or no, I would technically consider high risk the whole way through just because um, if you've had a miscarriage and you've got like alternate factors, they consider you high risk the whole way. So we didn't see him very, like a lot, we saw him a lot, which was helpful to me because I kept seeing her moving, having a heartbeat, all that sort of thing. I think, again, I'm just in some ways deludedly optimistic that I was like, okay, now it's worked. I was like, oh, that's okay, two mistakes, but this one's okay. You know, this one's all right. But I actually found that at about 
12 weeks maybe, I started to feel really mad at Paloma and being like, well, why is this baby okay but the other ones won't? And what am I supposed to just suddenly like, you know, be in love with this baby and like just forget about the other ones? And I remember being standing in the shower and seeing that I was starting to get a little bit poochy and thinking like, what am I supposed to do now? Am I supposed to talk to this baby? Like, what am I going to do here? So I remember deliberately saying that I was going to start singing to the baby every day because I needed to do something that was going to be like, you know, positive and you know, and people often say they have postnatal depression, but I found out that it's possible to have prenatal depression or during pregnancy depression too, where you just do feel not connected to the baby until a certain point. It did take me a while to start to feel connected to her, um, but I loved being pregnant. So after a certain point when, you know, maybe it was when she was kicking, I remember going down to Balmoral and having a swim. And when I came out 16 weeks, I laid down and I felt her first kick. And I was sort of like, oh, wow, I love swimming. She loves swimming. We're going to get on fine. You know? oh. <laughs> so it was nice to feel something real, to feel a real connection. It was a relief. Yeah. Look, I'll be honest, I didn't feel pregnant. I didn't have um, any morning sickness or anything. So it felt very surreal until we found out the gender of my son. And yep. then suddenly he became real. And yeah. I connected with him in in a way that I hadn't been able to do beforehand. Did you have a name ready to go for when you found out the gender? No, we uh, we were stuck. We we had lots of girls' names, but no boys' names. We both agreed on. My husband's a teacher, so that rules out a oh, lot of names. Like <laughs> okay, so your, your pregnancy goes smoothly. You have mm. Paloma. Well, that part didn't go so smoothly. Okay, <laughs> um, up until I guess like. 35 weeks everything was fine but then around then they were seeing that my blood pressure was getting a little bit higher which can be a sign of preeclampsia and I guess they're already worried about my bleeding and stuff like that in general so I ended up being induced but I ended up having an emergency seizure because after they induced me I labored for like nine hours and then my blood pressure was going up hers was going down so then they were like listen we have to do a seizure and yeah it was a surprise I didn't want to have a seizure because I think there's that whole thing of like if you have a seizure, you got the easy way out, but then you have a seizure and you're like, holy moly, this is not the easy way <laughs> No, absolutely not. That's major surgery there. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was fine. They're like, the, you know, they literally got her in and out. Again, they got her in four minutes, so it was, that was fine. Oh, amazing. And then to have her there in your arms, wow. Not for a while, but yes, <laughs> again, with the seizure, you don't get to have them straight away. But that was cool because that meant Mike would have a little bit of time with her. But yes, then to hold her was like, oh, this is a real baby and she's my baby and she's literally turning into my best friend. She's very cool. So how old was Paloma before you started trying again? Mm, so we'd originally said, oh, let's wait till she's one. When she turned one, I was like, if we get pregnant now, I will kill you <laughs> <laughs> because I am, I'm so tired and I was working and he was working and like Paloma's amazing. She didn't sleep very much and, you know, whatever. So then we waited till she was two. So when she was two, we went on another holiday with my family. So it was like history repeating, the same thing. We went to, to England and Europe. Um, which was so much fun. We had a lovely time. And so we decided we'd start trying then. And so, again, I got pregnant on that trip. And I went to a doctor and they did the pregnancy test. They don't really do very much. It's just like, check that you're pregnant. Yes, that's fine. And then Mike and I and Paloma went to London before, right before we left. And just before we got on the plane, I started bleeding again. And I just bled all the way home on the plane. Mm. And so I went to the doctor and they'd said, like, yes, you were pre- you're having miscarriage, basically. They follow your levels down to zero. So it was like a very quick thing. We said, let's try and get pregnant. We got pregnant. We lost again. And that happened then five more times in a row. So they kept saying to us, you're fine to start trying. You're fine to start trying. It's basically just like missing a period because if you hadn't taken a pregnancy test, you wouldn't know you were pregnant. Obviously, it's a massive deal to us, Yeah. but it's not a big deal to anyone else. So this might be a really naive question, but mm. 
Is each miscarriage the same shock and emotional pain as your first or or do you start to feel less attached after a few? Mm. Seeing a positive pregnancy test is like crack. Like It's so exciting. It's mm. so exciting. So every single time I had a positive pregnancy test, that wasn't just like me shining my torch on the back of the pregnancy <laughs> test. It was a real positive. It was exciting, really exciting. And also especially once we got to like, five or six weeks, you know, you can take a test that tells you how far along you are, you know, like one to two weeks or two to three weeks or whatever. Yeah. So every time that went up, I was like, it's happening, it's happening, it's going to happen this time. And that's actually one thing I forgot to mention is that with Paloma, I ended up taking progesterone um, supplements because they thought that I had low progesterone, which is the thing that tells you a period to stop happening. So then every time I was having these um, pregnancy tests that were positive, I would have to start taking progesterone pessaries, which is like extra hormones and it's like messy, it's uh. like not fun at all. So it was like a whole roller coaster of stuff, the wild excitement, the, the like, exhaustive hormones, the fear that I'm going to miscarry again. Like yeah. it was hard. And I also like I had morning sickness the first time, morning sickness like immediately. So that I lost that baby at like seven weeks. So it like two weeks, three weeks of morning sickness. And then like give a miscarriage and like, and it's over again. Uh-huh. And we stop, stop the pessaries and like wait, you know, the next two weeks and start again. So it was like, I, at, at one point I was like, what am I doing? Why am I putting myself through this? torturous for me and like I honestly think that there's some part of you that goes crazy that is like I'm now ready for this baby and I must have it Mm. like there's no part of me that could control myself and say hey take six months off and like it'll be okay because once I decided I was ready for the baby I needed that baby in my arms I was like we need this is our family I need the next baby it's got to happen so oh well it's I think human nature, you know, to be so excited for something and then for that dream to to feel like it's been stripped from you, it Mm. just makes you want it even more, surely. And I think you're quite out of control. And so the only thing you can control is trying to get pregnant again. That's it. That's all you've got. So then you keep doing it. So when you lose a baby so early, I'm assuming Mm. that there's nothing you can bury. There's not a mass like that first time. So how do you grieve? How how do Mm. you gain closure on those Mm. miscarriages? Yeah. The problem is too, like I was talking to a girlfriend about this who's had a miscarriage and that's the wild thing too. Like I was insanely insensitive about miscarriage until I had one. And it like it, I cringe thinking about the things that I've said to people who told me they had miscarriage. It's like, oh, sorry about that. Or like, oh, that's tricky. You know, like, Nikki, this is why I'm because... doing this episode because <laughs> oh my gosh. I might like... experience one in the future, but I know I'll have friends yeah. around me and I want to know how to best love yeah. and understand what they're going through. Yes, absolutely. And it's wild because I have a very close group of girlfriends and they say miscarriage affects one in four women. And I would say that nine of the closest girlfriends that I have have had miscarriages or stillbirths Mm. in the last five years. So so it happens a lot more than we think it does. I think it's because definitely we test earlier and we can. Like I think our parents' generation probably lost a lot of early pregnancies and didn't know about it. I think we're also... I think we're also talking about it more. I think we didn't. They probably didn't talk about it as much, you know, as we did. We talk about it more anyway. So you bleed a lot, like a lot, a lot. So every time you go to the bathroom, it's like a reminder that you're losing a baby. It's quite a big deal, but it also helps because you see you're you're going through it. It doesn't just like someone snaps their fingers and says you're not pregnant anymore. Even though it's like excruciating to like go through, it's painful, like physically painful, but it's also painful to see the blood and to know that that baby is slipping away, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it is like helpful too because it's you know it's a process um i have got tattoos i we're a tattoo family and that helps me i think that um it helps me to have something on me that says this was real and it happened and it was important and i'm remembering it um 
And I also found that the very first time I had a miscarriage, I went onto Instagram looking for answers, you know, as you do. And I found a whole lot of girls who'd gone through the same thing. I'm still really close friends with a lot of them. And we talk about our lives now. Lots of them are Christians. I think that Christians, again, are more willing to acknowledge maybe a very early pregnancy as a baby, whereas some people might not be. No judgment in any way there. But yeah, so I've had some really great friendships who are willing to talk about it. And my girlfriends from school too, I always share with them if I'm pregnant from the day I pee on the stick because I want people to be praying for the baby and I want people to um, to know that we're pregnant. And after having a miscarriage, there's some part of you that wants to keep it a secret so you can surprise people. But then if you lose the baby and you have to say to people, we had a miscarriage. I had so many people saying to Mike and I in the beginning, you know, you're next or when are you going to have a baby or what are you guys thinking about it? Don't you want kids? And I would say to them after a while, I just had a miscarriage. I've just had two miscarriages. We just lost a baby. We're trying to get pregnant and we can't because after a while I was cross and I wanted people to be embarrassed for asking the question, <laughs> which isn't really fair because I would have definitely been asking those questions, you know, 32 seconds before I had a miscarriage. Um, but yeah, it became a thing where I was like, look, don't ask this question. Do not ask it because it, it's, it hurts. Yeah. But yeah, talking. I like to talk to my girlfriends. I like to tell them what I'm feeling and they are exceptional listeners. And it means that then later on, since I've had miscarriages, a lot of them have as well. I've known what I needed and been able to then reciprocate and to care for them, hopefully in the way that they need as well. Yeah, I was the same with telling family and close friends mm. really early on because if anything does happen, you want your support network around you. You Absolutely, want them praying yeah. for you and uh, yeah. I don't understand why there's stigma around this. Stuff. Well, they were saying wait, wait till a safe spot. They're like, you know, wait till you get the pregnancy safe. So then if you lose it, what, you don't lose space or like yeah. you, you but, pretend it didn't happen? Like it's crazy. That's right. Um, how did you feel when... You know, you mentioned that a bunch of your friends have had a miscarriage or a stillbirth, but I'm sure mm. around that age, a lot of them are also falling pregnant. How did it feel mm. when you'd hear about a family member or a friend fall pregnant? Yeah. Honestly, I was like enraged. I was like very bad at being happy for people. I couldn't do it. I was in a place of like, it's every time I would see a pregnant person in the street, I'd be like, what did you do? How did you do that? Like, how are you pregnant? I couldn't, like, I, I was very bitter, very, very bitter. Like, again, my relationship with God didn't change, but I'm sure that in some ways it actually did change because I was so bitter. I don't think I was really probably opening my heart to let God in as much as I should have been because I was so bitter. Mm. I couldn't be happy with people. I remember going to a... um bridal shower of which I was a bridesmaid I must have been a terrible bridesmaid at that time and maybe like 90% of the people were pregnant there and I was like someone's gonna die tonight like uh, I was so angry and frustrated and mm. the thing is too you want to say to people all the time like I'm cross because I've had a miscarriage but then that's not really an appropriate conversation especially not to the person who's pregnant you know? sure. <laughs> but I did I found it really difficult really really difficult I was like none of this is good only me having success is good. And that was a massive lesson for me to learn that, you know, this might not come. And is this the biggest thing in your life? And will you go on without it? And will it be your only joy? And, you know, is it the foundation of your life? And all those things. It took a long time for me to answer those questions. Is there anything that you'd want people to know about miscarriage that we yeah. haven't touched on? I think the problem is that every experience is so different. Like, it's just so different. Like, I know that I've got friends who've had miscarriages that are like, oh, well, wasn't meant to be. It's just one of those things. And it's not to say that I wanted it more than they did, but I do think that I had 
I had felt like I was going to be a mum my whole life and I had put a lot of my hope in that and a lot of my um, identity was in that, that I was going to be a mum and I was going to have lots of kids and I was going to do a really good job. And, I mean, I, I went to uni after school, but then after that I was nannying for 10 years because it just I just loved it so much. It was my greatest joy. I taught scripture. I did Sunday school. Like everything about my identity was that I was good with kids and that I was, you know, that was who I was. And so I think that for me every loss was shocking like shocking that it wasn't working for me and that like it's baffling like my mum had kids and she had no problems and why shouldn't I um so I think that you know that was it for me and maybe for other people it's not the biggest thing in their life or it's not their biggest identifier Mm. um maybe for other people too that they're having a miscarriage so early like a lot of people said to us it's such a blessing that it happened so early because I think that people do see it that way and look if I had carried a baby to 12 weeks and had lost it then I don't even know what I would have what would have happened to me so yes it's true that it, in many ways it is a blessing even though it's also excruciatingly painful so I I can't give one answer except to say that you can't assume I would never assume anything about it I know there's like a meme that says when you can ask someone if they're pregnant and it's like not here not here not here and then when the baby's coming out of them it's like maybe now it's kind of like that too with asking people do you want to have kids? Are you going to have kids? Are you thinking about kids? Don't you want kids? Why haven't you had kids? You know, just never ask. That would be my one thing to avoid having any kind of difficult conversation about miscarriage unless it's brought to you and said, can I talk to you about this? Yeah. Never ask someone because it's not fair to ask. Yeah. So when you did talk to your support network about mm-hmm. it, what yeah. were the things that family or friends could say or do that was helpful yeah so I think the best thing that anyone ever said to me was that my older brother said to me always remember that heaven is the goal um he didn't say to me like you know don't be upset about it or anything he just said always remember that heaven is the goal and that even though the best thing for us would have been to have the baby on earth this is the first time we had a miscarriage that that baby has gone to heaven and has reached the goal before us all and is in perfect happy healthy relationship with Jesus and that really actually just put such perspective for me. And I, I tried to grasp onto that every time it happened. And I know it is truth. I believe that is absolute truth. Didn't stop me from, you know, being <laughs> manic and insane a lot of the time. But it was an absolute truth that I could come back to every time that um, there are people now that we love in heaven and that our babies are in heaven with them. That was just so comforting to me. So, so comforting. Not one person in my family ever said to me, it's not a big deal or, you know, get over it or anything like that. They've all been like, I mean, even if I want to talk about it any time, they're all completely willing to listen, which is very gracious of them because I think that especially with grief, our biggest thing is that, you know, when someone dies, it's important to us. Everyone else goes on with their life and we're thinking, hey, come back and let's remember how important this thing is. So it's very gracious of people to stop and say, let's talk more about, you know, what you're going through, even if they're not, because it is hard to do that. It's hard to give time to someone else's big thing when it's not a big thing to you. So that was very good of them. I appreciate that. Do you think about your unborn babies? What makes you think of them? Mm, I mean, it's not like I had a girlfriend who lost a baby quite far along into her pregnancy. And so when people say to her, how many kids do you have? They always say, we have five kids and one in heaven. You know, that's the conversation they have. We have never talked to Paloma about um, having miscarriages, except that at one point when we were further along, maybe we were like seven weeks, something with when she was born, we said to her, oh, the baby in mummy's tummy. And then the next day, she, or, you know, after I had a miscarriage, she asked about it and we said, oh, that baby's in heaven. We just never spoke about it again because it's not fair. I don't think it's fair, you know, for that to be a part of her life story right now. Mm. Um, so I don't think that, you know, we 
say we've got this many kids because that's just not what we do. But I do think that birth dates, no, I know the dates, the due dates, you know, that's a weird one. And I remember like the day that we found out we were pregnant and the day that we miscarried, all those dates are still very like strong in my mind. And um, obviously looking at the tattoos that I've got, if people ask me about the tattoos, um, it's a, quite a nice thing because I can say, oh, this is for this reason. And it can be an awkward conversation <laughs> and people sometimes don't want to engage with it and that's okay. But it's nice for me to look at my tattoos and think, you know, this body made babies and they're in heaven and heaven's the goal. <laughs> What's an example of a tattoo that you've got for one of your um, I got this one in Amsterdam. It's it's um, tulips. So just because we're in Amsterdam, I got tulips. But it was just uh, just something that brought me joy to remind me, you know, that this was a real thing that happened that brought me joy. I've got on my arms for one of the miscarriages that we had after Colin was born, two tattoos. One of them is in my grandmother's handwriting. It says, so alive. She had um, written in her will that Spurgeon quote that said, one day you'll read in the paper that I am dead. Don't believe it. I will never be so alive. Wow. And I remember as a kid thinking that meant she was never going to die and she was going to be <laughs> hiding and surprise us all because she was so alive. And then when she died, I read it and thought, my gosh, like she's so alive right now. And she was so alive on earth. I can't even begin to imagine how alive she is in heaven. And just, you know, it makes me think these babies, they really are so alive. Yeah, they really are. That's beautiful. And then the other one is um, Bob Dylan lyrics. It says, don't think twice. It's all right. Because I can't live in fear I guess or you know I just want to yeah I have to keep living you've spoken to this a little bit but how do you come to terms with the fact that God is God and you're not in control when you know these are such good things that you're hoping for yeah I think that's the thing too like I've spoken to a girlfriend of mine who was walking the same kind of road with me trying to get pregnant at the same time and then she ended up having miscarriage and we've both said you know God says to have kids and God says that kids are a gift and you know, God says he will only give us good gifts and, you know, you don't give a snake to your kid, you know, when they ask for bread or whatever it is they ask for. Um, and so why not? You know, why wouldn't this happen? And, again, it's it, it in, in, in a lot of ways in my mind it's nothing to do with God, in that God is completely in control and sovereign, but that this is just life and that there are so many good things that God blesses me with. And I have my beautiful daughters, but even before that, you know, so many exceptional blessings and that the this bad stuff is because there's sin in the world and in every way like you stub your toe or you drop your favorite mug and it smashes or you know you're driving and you're doing all the right things and a drunk driver smashes into you mm. there is sin in the world and it's not because god doesn't love us and it's not because god isn't with us and it's not because god isn't in control bad things are happening they just are if there's if someone's listening because you know they read the heading miscarriage and that's mm. you know something they clicked on because they've got a friend who's just had one yeah and they're trying to support them is there anything that you'd encourage them in terms of what to say or how to listen or what to take mm. over to them grief is grief and loss is loss and um i think that if you've got someone in your life who is struggling to get pregnant or has just had a miscarriage, they're experiencing something that you are not experiencing and you can't experience it with them. So work out what they need by asking them or by praying about it. It's hard to know. And I think that asking is the only thing. You can say to someone, can I ask you a really hard question? And if you don't feel comfortable answering, please don't feel like you need to. Or if you're not, you know, yeah, I think it's good to ask. Communication is key, right? Yeah. Or by even even going to a family member and saying, I'm, I'm anxious with how I can support this person. Could you give me an idea of how to do it, if that's appropriate? 
do what you can to just be alongside them. And that may be leaving them alone or it may be never leaving them alone. But, you know, you, you work out the things that you can do and never say to someone that, you know, you understand how they feel because you just don't, with all the things we just don't, but being alongside someone is so important. Parallel, being parallel to them is important. That's great advice. Okay, final question. Mm. Suffering and trials, they make us more humble and mm. empathetic. Is there anything that you've learned about yourself or about God through this? Yeah, definitely. I I am like a very blunt, tough love person. Oh, my gosh, I've been so humbled. And I also I volunteer in a prison. And I remember one time being there, one of the girls said to the group that she'd had a miscarriage. And everyone sort of went, oh, and then kept talking. And so I turned to her and you know, asked him more questions about it. And I said to her, that must have been awful for you. And she said to me, oh, thanks so much for letting me talk about it. I remember thinking like, wow, we really do um, need to sometimes go through terrible things to be able to care for other people. And, yeah. you know, I feel blessed that I was able to care for her. You know, it's not that I say that it's worth having a miscarriage because of that, but yeah. I'm glad, so glad that God changed me because of the, the way, the things that have happened in my life, because I'm not happy with the way that I cared for people before. Well, Nikki, you're amazing. Thank you for being so honest and giving such a, a vulnerable insight into the sorrow and grief that women experience through miscarriage. And, you know, I really hope that God redeems the pain and, and reveals mm. his purpose through all this. And, you know, that if you and Mike decide to have more children, that it'll just happen really easily. <laughs> yeah, it would be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. But I, uh, I appreciate you asking the questions too. You know, it's, it's always really therapeutic to talk about stuff like this. And again, I enjoy talking about, you know, what happened because I think it reminds us that it was real and that it happened. So thank you for asking. Mm.